You're listening to the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast, your source for tips and tricks on building wealth through real estate in Connecticut. You will get the best techniques from leading local experts in real estate and lending. Now, here's your host, Robert Weinberg. Good Saturday morning to everybody and welcome to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast. Along with Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Rob, good morning. Good morning, Gary. Hey, how are you? I'm doing all right this morning. How about yourself? You know, I'm doing my best to hang in there. That's aren't all I we all, do. aren't we all? Yeah, you know. I'm with you. Well, I will tell you, you know, the market has definitely shifted for sure, um, yeah. which I know we've we've mentioned on a few shows recently. And I have been getting just so many inquiries from especially first time buyers about are we in a housing bubble? Are we in a housing crisis? When is the housing crash? Or simply saying, you know what? These prices are too high. I'm just going to wait for the housing market to crash because it happened, you know, during my lifetime. I remember the housing market crashing in 08. So I know that's going to happen. So I'm just going to wait it out. And it's unfortunate because a lot of them are missing out on opportunities. But I thought that it was the perfect chance to really step back for a second and talk about housing bubbles and the housing market in general and the fact of where are we at in the you know in the grand scheme of things in the economy and is there going to be a crash are we in a housing bubble let's answer those well, questions let's start with what what exactly is a housing bubble right it's important to know what it is so a housing bubble it's also known or talked about as a real estate bubble okay. and what it is is this is an exact definition that i found online it's a run-up in housing prices fueled by demand speculation and exuberant spending to the point of collapse again i'm going to say that one more time it's a Run-up in housing prices fueled by demand, speculation, and exuberant spending to the point of collapse. That is the definition of a housing bubble or a real estate bubble. That's what it is. Okay. Well, can you talk then about, about housing bubbles that, let's say, occurred over the last, oh, I don't know, let's say 30 years? Right. So one big... Um, misnomer a lot of people have is they think that these housing bubbles are constantly coming like it's every couple of years or every 10 years it's really not that often that these occur so I did some research on this topic and I found that over the last hundred years there have really only been three that have occurred so let's step back and talk about those why they happen how they happen so the one that everyone knows is the housing crash that occurred in 2007-2008. That crash occurred because of a housing bubble that started around 1996-1997, and then it went all the way up through 2006 before we saw that collapse. So why did that housing bubble occur? Well, it was due to speculation, and it was due to exotic mortgages. So every housing bubble occurs for different reasons. This housing bubble was fueled by mortgages. This housing bubble in the early 2000s. Other housing bubbles weren't fueled by mortgages, but this one was. So what we really saw was, uh, you know, a situation where it was so easy to get a mortgage that it almost didn't make sense not to. You could get a mortgage by just fogging a mirror, meaning you had a pulse and you could get a mortgage. There were a lot of loan programs that had no income verification, no asset verification, no job verification. So you could literally write on your mortgage application that you are a all-star chef at 
some restaurant and they wouldn't even verify what you were doing there and how much money you made on a lot of these loan programs. Seeing what they were doing and how they were handling it, and I saw these exotic loan products. What are we talking about? Two-year adjustable rate mortgages, where the rate was only fixed for a two-year time frame, very little. Three-year adjustable rate mortgages, option arms, a loan product called a pay option arm, where every month you could choose, you had five different payments you could make. And you could choose which one you wanted to make. How great does that sound? Well, it sounds good until you realize that the lowest payment on there made your mortgage go up every month, not down. A lot of people were misinformed and didn't realize that. So, you know, the bottom line is that housing crash, there was a ton, a ton of supply that ended up because everyone wanted to put their houses on the market towards the end of that uh, bubble. And people started going, I'm, no, I'm good. I already own all these properties. I already have my financial situation intact. And it created a huge supply with very little demand. So that's why in 2007 into 2008, you saw pr uh, prices starting to crash. You saw huge reductions in price. I'm talking about, you know, 10 to 20%. And then ultimately, in a lot of areas, housing prices fell by 50% or more. Many areas in Connecticut, specific towns I'm talking about, Hartford, Waterbury, New Britain, go look at what homes sold for in 2005 and six in those areas. Go look at what homes have been selling for in the last couple of years in those areas. You'll see we're just getting back to those levels and in some of those areas we've exceeded it, but we saw like these huge, huge lowering of the demand, which lowered the prices so much. And people that bought during these timelines, they were underwater. A lot of them haven't been able to sell or refinance up until recently. Um, prior to that bubble in, in uh, you know, 2006 timeline, before that, we have to go way back to the early 1980s. And what happened then, it wasn't really a housing bubble or a housing crash. What happened then was a housing affordability issue. So housing affordability dropped to a level of 62. That's the all-time low of housing affordability. And that's what it was in the 1980s. And the reason that housing affordability was so bad is because there was rampant inflation going on and the Fed had to raise rates as high as mortgages for 17 and 18% interest. If you know people that bought homes in the early 1980s, that's what they were paying on their mortgage interest. So a lot of people just went, well, I can't afford that payment. The interest is so high, so I'm just not going to buy a house at all. So it wasn't really a crash in housing prices. It was just a crash or a you know complete uh, dissolution of demand in housing. It was only once they started cutting rates and started getting back to normal uh, and inflation you know started tapering off that we started seeing that demand for housing come back. But I mean, you're talking about literally the last 30 to 40 years, only one, maybe two of these crises that have occurred. And if you go back before the 80s, the one before that was the Great Depression in the 1920s. So this is something that we're not talking about comes up every decade. This is like every 20, 30 years. So it's not something you want to sit around waiting for. But if you happen to find yourself in a housing bubble, there are ways to take advantage. There are ways to uh, really create wealth through that, which we can talk about. But yeah, that's that. why exactly does a housing bubble even occur? So a housing bubble is a temporary period of months or sometimes years, and it's calculated and uh, characterized, I should say, by high demand, low supply, and inflated prices above fundamentals. That's the key is 
you know, what is a house worth? It's worth what someone else is willing to pay for it, right? But if somebody else isn't willing to buy that house at the level that you're pricing it, then the demand isn't there. And then you're going to have to lower the price, right? So the price keeps going down until somebody steps in and goes, all right, that's a good deal. I can, I can work with that and I'll buy that house for that price. But the factors that actually cause that housing bubble, they can vary, you know, depending on when we're talking about. So, what we saw like in the early 2000s was this economic prosperity that occurred um, with the dot-com bubble. Oh, you yeah. know, a lot of people had all that money. Um, maybe they cashed out early or, you know, did well during that time. So they had all this money. They wanted to put that money in with that low of a credit score. But back then you could. It was actually simple to get a mortgage down to that credit score. Even if you had a bunch of lates on a previous mortgage, a foreclosure recently, a bankruptcy, banks were still willing to lend money to someone like that because there was so much profit available. So as you're seeing, there's all these things that come together that make someone go, hey, I'm going to get a mortgage now. Hey, I want to buy a house. Hey, why not two or three? So hmm. that created speculation. People didn't really care what they were paying because they just wanted to get in on the action. Right, right. Why do so many people believe that right now, 2022, they think that we're in a housing bubble? Right. So I will be clear that I do not believe we're in a housing bubble in 2022. Okay. I right. do not at all. The reason why many people think that, especially first-time buyers or people that are new to the market, is because they've seen the prices of homes over the last two to three years go up in some cases between 30 to 50% just over the last couple of years. So if you got pre-approved to buy a home in like 2018 or 19, you know, you might have gotten a certain pre-approval amount and now you're looking at that house that you didn't buy and how much it's going for now and you're going, oh my God, it was, you know, 250, now it's 350. Well, there's no way that could be. This has got to be a bubble. I'm just going to wait till the price comes back down because I don't want to overpay. Hmm. But people don't understand that that can't be sustained. It's We're not going to have 20, 30% increases every year. That was just pent up demand that had happened mainly due to COVID and the pandemic. And once we got out of lockdown and out of quarantine, everyone wanted to buy a house. They wanted to upgrade a house. There was just a lot of value on a home during the pandemic that wasn't there before. So that's real demand because people needed a place to live. They needed a place to work. They needed a place to learn. Well, if they weren't leaving their house, the house was that place. The more you're going to use something, the more utility it has, the more value it has. It's like I remember Economics 101 back in my freshman year in college talking about this stuff. And, you know, this is an exact supply and demand situation. There's very little supply because a lot of people don't want to move if they don't have to. And there's tons of demand because people want to get into a house if they've been in an apartment. They're establishing a family. They need to expand. So there's very low supply with high demand. It means the prices are going to keep going up. That's why I don't think we're in a housing bubble. The other reason people do uh, or they want to feel, maybe it makes themselves feel good that, hey, we're in a housing bubble, so I'm just going to wait it out because they're priced out of the market. Maybe their max pre-approval was 300000 but all the houses they're looking at are 350, 400 or higher, and they just don't want to face that reality. So they're priced out and they're looking for any reason of why they're priced out and what's going to happen to get in the market. Well, they think back, when do housing prices go down during a real estate crash? I'm just going to wait it out for that next crash. There hasn't been a crash since 08, 07. So maybe there's one coming because it's been a little bit of time. So they're just sitting on the sidelines, waiting, waiting, waiting. And, I, you know, I, I want to tell you about a client that this resonates with because they came to me in 2019 
and they were pre-approved for 350,000 and they had a great house that they were about to bid up and you know move forward with and they decide I remember them telling me Rob you know that 350 that's too much I I don't think the house is worth that in this market I really don't I'm going to wait it out I'm not going to be aggressive I'm just I, he put a low ball offer they wanted to play the game of negotiating he just bowed out that house that was 350 in 2019 sold for 475 just a few months ago so this gentleman, before all this stuff came into play, and this is a real estate investor too. This guy has multiple properties. He's a business owner. He's definitely someone that's smart. And he decided that he wasn't going to buy in 2019. Had he done that, he'd be sitting on multiple six figures in additional equity. You can't time the market. What you want is time in the market. The longer you can be in the market, the more opportunity you have to build equity. Okay, so think about that. And definitely, if you look at the fundamentals, you'll find we're not in a housing bubble. It's that simple. So you again, you don't believe, I want to make sure I heard this correctly. You don't believe that we're in a housing bubble. I do not believe we're in a housing bubble because of supply versus demand, number one. I mean, you know, we can talk about it all we want, but everyone knows there's not a lot of houses for sale and there's a ton of people that okay. want to buy houses. So go look up economics 101 on supply and demand <laughs> and how that affects prices. And it's like very easy to see now. I feel like previous real estate markets, you can't really see supply and demand. It's uh -huh. hard to see visually, but in this market you can because go online, talk to a realtor. You'll see, put in a zip code. There's very few houses for sale. I remember looking years ago online and having pages and pages and pages of houses for sale. Now you're lucky if there's one or two pages. So what are the disadvantages of buying a home in a bubble? So the disadvantages are number one, overpaying. Yeah. You know, that's okay. why a lot of people don't want to buy. Even if they're scared we're in that bubble is because they don't want to overpay for a house. A house is a big asset. It's the biggest purchase you're going to make. And if you overpay, you might be overpaying 10,000, 20,000, 50,000. That's a lot of money that you need to recoup. A financial mistake like that could cripple you for a very, very long time. And it did cripple many people that bought in that like 06, 07 timeline right before the crash. Many of them have been completely paralyzed financially since then or are just now getting out of it. Um, uh, uh, one of the reasons why it's so difficult to get out of a mortgage if you buy during a housing bubble is your mortgage goes underwater in many cases. So what is an underwater mortgage? Let's define that. An underwater mortgage means that the value of your home is less than the amount owed on the mortgage. Mm. So maybe you bought a house, we'll use easy numbers. Maybe you bought a house for 200,000, you put a little bit of a down payment. Let's say you have a mortgage for 190,000. A couple years go by, now your mortgage is 180,000 because you've been paying it down, but the housing bubble popped or there was a housing crisis, something happened where the price went down. Now your house the value of it is only, let's say, 160, but your mortgage balance is 180. That's called an underwater mortgage. If you visually think of it, your mortgage is underwater of the value of the house. That means that you cannot sell the house without coming up with money. That's one reason why people foreclose on their homes is because they figure, well, gosh, I owe so much more than it's worth. I can't get out of this. I can't get a realtor. I can't sell it because I'm going to owe all this money. So I'm just going to stop paying my mortgage. That's one of the reasons why we had the foreclosure crisis back then in 07, 08 that we are not going to have today because people have so much equity that there's very few under water mortgages right now. And even if we see a five or 10% drop in housing prices, which is possible, you're still going to have most people that are not going to be underwater because 
you know, your down payment definitely counts. And in this market, I'm finding, yeah, first time buyers are putting three to 5%, but a lot of my repeat buyers are putting 10, 20, 30% or more down. So even if housing prices decrease a bit, they're still not going to be underwater. Another reason why you don't want to buy during a housing bubble is decreased flexibility and mobility. If you get a new job and you need to sell, well, if your mortgage is underwater, you can't do that. That's that's a big issue because if you can't move, you can't sell, then you're going to have to stay where you're at. Also, when it comes to refinancing, you're not going to be able to do that. If rates bottom out and you want to refi, you want to tap equity, well, there's no equity to tap if you bought during a housing bubble. So you're going to have that decreased uh, flexibility with a mortgage. And the last thing is that during these housing crises and housing bubbles, as I've been mentioning, there's a lot of predatory loans. There's a lot of exotic loans that end up coming out. We're not really seeing that today, which is another reason why I don't think we're in a bubble. But during these other bubbles that have occurred, we did see these predatory loans. And these predatory loans, loans can make it very difficult or impossible to refinance because the terms of these loans, sometimes they're negatively amortized, which means your mortgage goes up every month instead of down. That can be a very, very bad thing if you don't understand it. Um, that's going to make it so you can't get a new mortgage. Also, sometimes they'll do like a 40-year mortgage. Those are predatory loans, in my opinion, because every month when you're making your mortgage payment, you're talking about like such a small sliver that's going to principal. You might as well just be paying interest. And that makes it difficult. And interest-only loans were a very popular exotic loan that, that were used during the last crash, which are where every month you pay your mortgage, all of the money goes to interest. None goes to principal. So if you owe 200000 on your mortgage and you've been paying it for five years, interest-only, after five years, you still owe the same amount that you did way back in the beginning. You can see it's not a great scenario and it's definitely not preferred. So those are the reasons why me and everyone else doesn't want to buy in a bubble. There's all those disadvantages. Folks, you are listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. You can uh, check out uh, Rob Weinberg online at ConnecticutMortgageLending.com. And if you'd like to make an appointment with uh, Rob, it's very easy to do that. Just simply call this phone number, 860 413 Again, that's 860-413-3938. So, Rob, what, what are the pros and cons of refinancing during a housing bubble? Right. So we talked about advantages, disadvantages of buying during a housing bubble. Right, what about right. a homeowner that's staying in their home that wants to refinance? Right. So let's talk about pros because there actually are pros to refinancing during a housing bubble. Number one is you're going to get more equity out of your home because the housing prices are exuberant, right? They're irrational. So you're going to get a lot more money out of your home refinancing at the top of that bubble. But obviously, if you don't time it right, you could really be in a bad position. Um, also, lending standards are looser. So if you're someone that's had issues with your credit, income, or other lending criteria, you might have an easier, you will have an easier time refinancing during a housing bubble because as we've been discussing, these lending standards are loose. There's more exotic loan products. There's more opportunities. There's more options for everybody to get a mortgage. So those are the pros of refinancing during a bubble. The cons, over leverage, like we've been discussing. Um, you might owe more on your house than it's worth if you refinance at the wrong time. You'll be underwater. You won't be able to sell that home or refinance in the future. And you may be at risk for foreclosure because we find that when people owe a lot more than the house is worth, mm. um, 
people walk away from their obligations. It's called strategic default. And what strategic default is, is you get to a point emotionally where you go, I'm not going to pay this mortgage anymore because I'm not building any equity. I'm basically throwing all my money out every single month and I'm never going to be in a position to be able to build equity because I owe so much more than the house is worth. It's like a desperate feeling. Um, it's a depressed feeling. So what people do is this strategic default where they strategically go, I can pay my mortgage, but I don't want to. And I'm not going to because it's not worth it to me. I can use that money somewhere else better. We haven't seen that now, but we saw a lot of that back in the last housing crash. Ruins so their credit, though. It does ruin their credit temporarily, you know, for several years. Um, oh. But some people, it's worth it because if they're making a mortgage payment of, say, $1,500, $2,000, $3,000 a month, and they stop making their payment for a year, that's a lot of money that can be built up. And many people say to themselves, I know that it's going to be a negative for me, but... I'm going to do it because it's going to save me so much money. Uh, and it's not good when that happens. And again, we haven't seen that recently, but it was something that was so popular back in the last crash. Like I mentioned, um, the other con is that you may not be able to sell your home in the future. Or if you do sell your home down the line, you're going to have to pay money out of pocket, whether it's realtor commissions, closing costs, or whatever the extra amount that's owed on your mortgage above what the house sells for. Um, you're going to have to come up with money. So the story that I'll tell you real quick about that is I had a client that moved from Illinois to Connecticut right after the last housing crash. And they told me that when they closed on their home in Illinois and they sold it, which is like in 2009-ish, right? They had to come up with $29,000 to sell their home. Why would they have to come up with $29,000 to sell their home? Because they owed more on the house than it was worth. And they had done this strategy that we talked about. They had taken a mortgage during the housing bubble, but they had to get out. They had to move to Connecticut from Illinois because of job opportunities. So what they ended up doing was they ended up withdrawing $29,000 from a retirement fund oh. in order to sell their house. Oh. You know, luckily they were in a decent financial position where that didn't completely cripple them financially, but it was their only way out. Rob, what are I only have time for one more question, but what are some signs then that people can look for uh, to see the sign of a housing bubble? What, what do we look for? Yeah, so I'm going to think back to the last housing bubble because I was in it and I remember <laughs> seeing this stuff myself and right. I remember going like, is this normal mm -hmm. or is this like a little bit crazy? Mm -hmm. So what you're really going to notice is much looser lending standards in these exotic loan products we're talking about, the interest-only loans, the adjustable rates, the uh, you know no-income verification loans. Those type of things you'll start hearing about and seeing advertising for. You'll see mortgage companies pushing these products out to the market to say, hey, you don't need any money down or you don't need good credit to buy a home or you know uh, we'll give you a loan with interest-only on it, no-income verification, et cetera, et cetera. Those things show you we're probably getting close to the top of a bubble bursting. Um, also, higher loan-to-value loans. So it's a scenario where a normal housing market, people are putting down 5%, 10%, 20%. During these housing bubbles, though, with the lending standards getting so loose, you'll see a lot of people putting no money down or 3% down, like just very, very little down. Now, there is a 
time and a place for those low down payment loans, mainly for first time buyers. And they are around now and I'm sure will continue to be. But the no money down loan for anybody that hasn't been around for a while. And I don't see that one coming back for sure. Um, the last one that I want to mention here is just buzz. So how do you know if we're in a housing bubble? What buzz is going on out in the public? When you're at your barber shop, are people talking about buying homes and real estate and flipping properties? There's a sign that we might be in a housing crisis. When you're at your church or your uh, religious center on the weekend and everyone's chit-chatting, are people talking about real estate investing? Are they talking about buying and selling homes? Are they talking about mortgages? If so, there's a sign we might be in a housing bubble. And the same thing applies for stock bubbles and other type of bubbles. When everybody's in on it and you know the trash man is talking about flipping homes, that is the uh, one of the telltale signs that we might be there at the top of the bubble and it might be time to step back and reevaluate. You said one of the signs. One of the signs, because we're talking about there's a lot of different things going on. You know, okay. there's a lot of different pieces of the puzzle. For me, I remember the sign being my buddy Andrew, who bought five properties as, within a one year timeline. He bought five oh. properties with no money down on any of them. Okay. I go, gosh, I've only been in this industry a few years, but that's crazy to me. And this guy, Andrew, was one of my college buddies. This wasn't some guy that was making hundreds of thousands of dollars, and he put a five-property portfolio together in one year. Does he still have them? These exotic loan programs. Nope, they all got foreclosed on. Oh, boy. Folks, oh, man, so much that we learn on this show. If you'd like to have more information on uh, housing bubbles or anything that we discuss on this show, uh, simply uh, go online to ConnecticutMortgageLending.com. Again, it it's ConnecticutMortgageLending.com. Uh, maybe uh, this conversation or conversations in pre previous episodes have sparked a question, maybe generally speaking, that you'd like the answer to, and maybe others could benefit from as well. Who knows? Maybe it's crossed the minds of other listeners, but we need one person to step forward. Email us. It's very simple. Email us at Mortgage Matters Radio Show at gmail.com. We'll get this question answered for you on these very airwaves. Hey, maybe as soon as... Next Saturday. Again, it's Mortgage Matters Radio Show at gmail.com. If you've got something more of a personal nature and you'd like to set up a meeting with Rob, simply do this uh, make a phone call to Rob's office. Schedule a consultation. It's 860 413 3938. I'll repeat that for you 860 413 3938. By the way, Gina on Facebook says, Excellent info, Rob. Thank for Rob you, Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show. Until next Saturday morning, have a good one, everybody. Thanks for listening. So if you have questions about the information we've covered or would like to discuss mortgage financing for your situation, you can reach Robert Weinberg by visiting www.robgw.com.